Open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 8, 8, verses 31 through 59. John, chapter 8, verses 31 through 59. I'm going to be in the English Standard Version. Any version you have is, is fine. So go ahead and open up your Bibles there. We are a Christ-centered family that glorifies God by loving Him, by loving others, and by making disciples. That is who we are, that is what we do, and that is how we do it. And one of the things that we do every week, uh, when we come together, we worship God through song, but now we're going to continue worshiping God by turning to the Word of God, to learning what it has to say to us, by laboring and longing to understand what it says, so that we can believe what it says, obey what it says, and delight in the God that it reveals to us. That's what we do when we open the Word of God together. And while some passages are really very clear and easy to work through, this passage is not one of those passages. <laughs> this passage is condensed. It is distilled. There is a lot in every single bite of this passage. But it is good. <laughs> it is a rich passage. It is the last passage, actually, of the conversation between Jesus and Jews uh, at the Feast of Booths. And this conversation has been going on from John chapter 7, verse 1, all the way through to John chapter 8, verse 59. So this is going to be concluding that conversation between Jesus and the Jews. And in that conversation, we see a lot of friction, right? A lot of friction because Jesus says some really bold things. He makes some really stunning claims, and the Jews don't like everything that Jesus has to say. But while we see a lot of friction, we also see a lot of fruit. That as we go through this conversation, at multiple points, it actually says that many of the Jews that were there believed the words that Jesus said. In fact, our passage last week ended with those words in verse 30. John writes, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So some Jews heard and totally rejected and turned against him. Other Jews believed. But as we start our passage today in verse 31, let me just read the first two verses here because it really orients us to what we're doing in this passage. Verse 31 and 32 say this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus is speaking specifically to the Jews who believed in him. Those Jews who throughout the course of this conversation heard the words that Jesus was saying and believed it. But notice what he's talking about here is, okay, you, you believe what I say, but are you truly my disciples? In this passage, Jesus seems to be making a distinction between people who believe and those who are truly his disciples. And now we're going to break down what that looks like in just a little bit here. But we have to understand this at the beginning. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? Usually when we ask that question, we think about it in terms of uh, Christian lingo. That a disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. But a disciple wasn't originally a Christian word. The word disciple was originally a Jewish word. Because in Jewish culture, a disciple was somebody who followed after a rabbi. Who learned from a rabbi. Who dedicated themselves to the teaching of that rabbi. And dedicated themselves to living out the teaching of that rabbi. And so here comes Rabbi Jesus, and Jesus is saying to those people who believe in him, okay, you believe, but are you truly my disciples? Are you going to obey my teaching? Are you going to dedicate yourself to what I, your rabbi, say? 
Are you going to model your life after my teachings? So the question that we're going to be asking as we walk through this passage and that we're going to come to at the end is simply this. What does it look like to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it look like to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? That's where we're going to be today. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive right in to verse 31. Heavenly Father, we love you. We're here this morning because we love you. Because we want to sing to you, tell you about how great and glorious you are. We're here this morning to look at your word so that we can meet you here. Come to love you more and then live to obey you. Live to delight your, your name, Lord, and to glorify your name. We pray, Father, that the result of looking at these words today, these words that you have inspired, that have been given down to us, that are the ultimate authority on all things in life, we pray that the words, these words would change us today. They wouldn't just enter our heads, but then they would change our hearts and change the way that we live, Lord. We believe that you are powerful to do this, that your spirit is able to change hearts and lives. So we pray even today that that would happen. Even today that as we come to your word that is living and active, it would cut to our hearts and change who we are. Lord, make us truly your disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, verse 31, starting right from the beginning. I'll read the first two verses. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is speaking specifically to the Jews who believed in him. Those Jews who were with him in the midst of this conversation heard everything that he was saying and in some way believed in what Jesus said. But the question here that he's asking them is basically, look, are you really my disciples? Do you really abide in my word? Do you really know the truth? Has the truth that I preach and teach actually set you free? Because the disciples, as I just said a minute ago, uh, originally was a term to talk about the followers of rabbis, people who dedicated themselves to the teachings of the rabbis, dedicated themselves to living out the teachings of the rabbis. And the exact same would be true for the disciples of Jesus Christ. If you are a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus Christ, he's saying right here, you will abide in my word and know the truth. But what does that mean? To abide in his word and to, to know the truth. What do those two statements mean? While those two statements aren't necessarily synonyms, while they're not saying the exact same thing, we really do have to understand both of them in relation to each other. What does it mean to abide in the word of God? And what does it mean for his truth to set you free? To abide in God's word, it's talking about uh, his, his teachings. And it means to not just think that what he's saying is facts. Not just thinking that his words are true, but actually holding true to them. Holding them dear, remaining steadfast in them. To allow the truth that Jesus is speaking to shape your thinking, to shape what you believe, to shape the way you live. We see this word abide sprinkled throughout the book of John. And whenever it's used, that's what it means. To remain, to, to, to take seriously 
to allow who Jesus is and what Jesus says to shape who you are. Abiding will by necessity change the person who is abiding. And so if you do abide in the truth, if you truly believe what I say in such a way that it affects the way you live, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But what is this truth that sets free? What is this powerful truth that is able to set people free? It's hard to actually tell from this passage alone what this truth is, but luckily for us, this passage is set in the context of the entire book of John. And the truth that Jesus is teaching throughout the book of John, from beginning to the end, is the truth of who he is, and the truth of what he came to do. It's the truth that he has been teaching and preaching from the very beginning, the truth about himself, that he is the long-awaited Messiah, that he is the messianic king, the king of Israel that the people of Jews, uh, people of Israel have been waiting for for so long. And he has come to bring his kingdom. His kingdom is at hand. And he is not just the speaker of the truth, but he is the way, the truth, and the life. So to abide in the words of Jesus and to know the truth, this truth that sets you free is to believe in Jesus and to remain faithful to believing and obeying his words. That's what it looks like to abide. That's what that means. And so while we're going to be returning to this a little bit later, we, we must return to this later, I want you to just pull out one little nugget that's going to shape the way that we proceed through the rest of this passage. And I want you to hold on to this. If you take notes, write it down. And it's this. Jesus is the truth. His words are truth. So his disciples, his followers, will be people of truth. And that's important to understand. Jesus is the truth. His words are truth. So his followers, his disciples, will be people of truth. For a disciple of Jesus, truth will be their native language. It will be the rock they stand upon. And so Jesus says to the Jews who believed, Are you truly my disciples? Then abide in my word. Know my truth, because this is the truth that will set you free. But free from what? What is it that the Jews exactly are being set free from? The Jews would like to know, because they ask in verse 33, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that you will become free? And yeah, <laughs> Jews have never been enslaved to anyone, right? <laughs> Except the Egyptians, and the Edomites, and the Moabites, the Canaanites, the Midianites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, later the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and now the Romans. But other than that. But Jesus isn't talking about a political power here. When he's talking about being enslaved to somebody, what he's really saying is you're under their power. He's not talking about political power. He's talking about a different kind of power. And we see that starting again in verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who, preaches, sorry, who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So the question is, whose power are you under? The power that they are under is a slavery not to a political power, not to some foreign power, but to a power that is even more strong and even more present 
a power, uh, the power of sin. They are enslaved to the power of sin. Because everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And it really doesn't take much imagination for us to understand this imagery of being enslaved to sin. Because the thing is, we've all, we all know what it's like to be tempted. And we all know what it's like to give into that temptation. And then to afterwards be kicking ourselves and saying, why do we keep doing this? Why do I keep speaking that way to my wife or my husband? Why do I keep clicking that on the internet? Why do I keep tuning in to that show? We all know what it's like to do something we know we shouldn't do and then to feel the guilt and the shame that follows after it and to feel like we're just not in control of our actions. That feeling is what it feels like to be enslaved by sin. And it's what Paul is talking about in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, where he says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. The Jews, like all mankind, are enslaved to sin. And so Jesus, using this imagery of slavery uh, and talking about really the master of the household, he's, he's saying this, that even though you are enslaved to sin, even though the power of your of your temptation is great, and it is, there is one who's greater. There is the power, a power that's greater. And that is the master of the house. And his son, the son of the master, bears the same authority as the master. And so the son is able to set you free. And if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. So Jesus is speaking about himself here. As the Son of God, he is saying, I have the power to set you free from slavery to sin. And if I set you free, you are free indeed. So abide in me. Abide in my words. Abide in my truth. The truth that I teach you will set you free. So are these Jews really true disciples? At this point, what do you think? Are they truly Disciples, have they really come to abide in Jesus' word to know the truth and to be set free? Let's move on and let's see what Jesus has to say about that, starting in verse 37. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. Your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth... You do not believe in me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Ah. 
It's getting heated again in this passage as if it ever actually cooled off. Because if you remember right back up in verse 33, they were discussing what it looks like to truly be a disciple. And what do the Jews do? They point to Abraham. What the Jews do is they point back to their forefather and they claim that because they are descendants of Abraham, they have hope before God. And here in this passage, Jesus doesn't deny that. In fact, in verse 37, he says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. But then he continues to say this, starting in that, in that same verse. Yet, you seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. Continuing in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But the point is here, you're not doing the works Abraham did. Rather, verse 40, you're seeking to kill me. A man who has told you the truth, there's that word again, that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. So Jesus is speaking to these Jewish believers and he's saying to them, look, you claim to be Abraham's children, huh? Is that, is that where you're going to put your hope? By claiming to be his descendants? Well, what you're claiming cannot possibly be true. You cannot possibly be Abraham's descendants. You cannot possibly be Abraham's children and trying to kill me. It's like calling yourself a vegetarian carnivore. It's like calling yourself an old soul who's young at heart. They're contradictory statements. They cannot possibly be true. And here's why. Because if you were Abraham's children, then you would be doing the same works Abraham did. But you're not. You're not following after the example set by your forefather. Because Abraham was a man who listened to the voice of God. And you, on the other hand, you are seeking to kill a man who told you the truth that you heard from God. That he heard from God. Verse 42, you're trying to kill a man who came from God. Who was sent by God. You are calling yourselves Abraham's descendants, but you are living the exact opposite. But not only is Jesus here debunking the claim that they are Abraham's descendants, he's actually naming another father that they have. If Abraham was your father, you'd be doing what Abraham did, but rather you're doing the works of someone else. So Abraham's not your father, God's not your father, someone else is your father. You do what you have heard from your father, 38. You are doing the works your father did, 41. God and Abraham are not your father. Verse 44, you are, doing, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. <laughs> what we're seeing in this passage, really, if you, if you boil it down, if you look at everything Jesus is saying, and yes, it is thick. <laughs> it, it is complex. But what this passage is getting at is the question of, is, is this. The question of whether you are enslaved or free comes down to this question. What do you make of the truth? The question of whether you are enslaved to sin or free from sin comes down to what you make of the truth. How do you respond when you hear truth? Because everything from the Father, according to this passage, is, is truth. Jesus' words are truth. He is a man who has told you the truth that he heard from God, verse 40. And inversely, the devil here, everything that the devil says is a lie. He is the father of lies. Verse 44 and 45 say this, and I think it breaks it down very clearly. It says this, 
he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not believe in me. Everything from God is truth in this passage, and everything from the devil is a lie. So Jesus says to the Jews, you are of the devil because just like him, you won't believe truth. Either you know the truth and the truth will set you free, or you don't know the truth and you are still enslaved by your sin. A lot has been said, but that's where it comes down to at this point. So things are getting heated. Jesus drops that bomb that their father is the devil, and now the Jews start throwing grenades back. So let's continue on in verse 48. The Jews answered him, we, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say... If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him. And I keep his word. So really, the, the Jews here, they resort to personal abuse of Jesus at this point. Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? After all, for Jesus to say that they are not descendants of Abraham, to claim that they are not descendants of the man of God, the very thing that makes them Jews in the first place, either means that they are an enemy of the Jewish nation, or he is absolutely crazy. Either he's an enemy of the Jewish nation, so a Samaritan, or absolutely out of his mind, like somebody who has a demon would be. So in some ways, those assumptions are actually, they, make, they sort of make sense. But if you think about it, what's amazing about this passage right here is that we see the Jews continuing to do exactly what Jesus said they would do. They're telling lies. It's not true. They're speaking falsehoods about who Jesus is, while inversely, Jesus has continued to speak the truth. He's continuing to point to the truth about who he is before God, speaking specifically about his relationship with the Father. But then finally, in verse 51, Jesus says something that is a complete bombshell, again, in this conversation, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, it's exactly what a disciple does, he will never see death. <laughs> the Jews have a cow here. Understandably so. Because to them who do not know the truth, to them who are still in the darkness, this is absolutely crazy talk. This is completely ridiculous. This guy must have a demon. And so they say so. Because they're saying to Jesus, look, if what you're saying is true, if you truly have the power over death, then you are claiming to be greater than Abraham, the father of our entire nation. You're claiming to be better than the prophets, the men who came who spoke the word of God. 
And Jesus to that replies in verse 46 to the end, my father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Very clearly, what happens here is number one, Jesus, they're saying, Jesus, if you're claiming to have the power over death, then you are even greater than Abraham, even greater than the prophets, even greater than these forefathers of our nation. So that is ridiculous. And Jesus says, I am greater, and they rejoiced in the day of my coming. They saw it and were glad. And the Jews replied, that's ridiculous too. You're less than 50 years old. Abraham lived about 2,000 years ago. How could he possibly have seen you? And Jesus replies, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham existed, I existed. Before Abraham was born, I was there. Before Abraham was, I am. I am greater than Abraham. I am greater than the prophets. I am greater because I am the great and mighty I am. I am God. And they understood every bit of that. (laughs) Because as we see in the very last verse, how do they respond? They respond to him as a blasphemer. They respond to him as somebody who is claiming to be God falsely. They pick up stones and try to kill him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Zooming out. From the beginning of that passage to the very end, a lot changes. At the beginning, the crowds that Jesus are speaking to are claiming to be believing him. By the end, they're trying to murder him. And so in the course of this conversation, Jesus puts forward this test. This test, it's a litmus test to decide whether or not they are truly his disciples. And this is it. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The rest of this passage shows how they do at this test. (laughs) And how they do is that they fail miserably. They do not know the truth. They are not abiding in God's word. They are not free. They are still enslaved to sin. The devil is still their father, and God is not their father. And we're in luck when we look at this passage, because yes, it's a pretty complex passage, but in reality, when we look at it today, the test that Jesus gives to the Jews in this passage still applies equally powerfully to us today. This test can be equally applied to us today, so let's stop and take it for ourselves. Do you pass this test? In this test, are you, does it show you to be a true disciple? Of Jesus Christ. Do you believe like the Jews in this passage? Or do you abide in Christ like a true disciple does? Do you believe like the Jews, mentally accepting what Jesus says? Or do you abide like a true disciple, dedicating yourself to what Jesus says? Allowing his words to shape you. Allowing his words to steer you. And I want to say before going in one step further, I am not saying that what you do earns your salvation. 
But what I am saying is that what you do might be a strong indication of where your heart is truly at. Because do you believe like the Jews? Do you believe by thinking in your head that the gospel is true, believing intellectually that Jesus' words are accurate, mentally accepting that the gospel is a fact, but then not allowing it to transform your thinking and your living? Not submitting to Jesus as your Lord, not allowing him to make the final call on all matters of truth? Because I want to be clear, this type of belief, just a mental belief, is not belief at all. Not in the sense that Jesus meant when he said that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This belief, this belief that we see in the Jews, is powerless. Another passage in the book of James, it says, Do you believe that God is one? Good. Even the demons believe that. And the point is this, you can believe something is true, but if you're not actually accepting it, if you're not actually abiding in it, sitting in it, allowing the power to change you and to steer you and direct you, not allowing Jesus Christ to be not just your Savior, but your Lord, then your belief means nothing at all. Belief for these people is only mental accepting, a mental accepting of the facts of Jesus' message. But if but it's not truth at all. So do you believe like the Jews? Or do you abide in Christ like a disciple? Because believing in this way, believing as one who abides in this way, this belief leads you to follow your master. It leads you to dedicate yourself to his teaching, to imitate his every quality, to submit to his authority, to surrender to his truth. That's what it means to abide in his word, to know the truth, to be set free by this truth. Because while our works don't save us, and we know that, they do help reveal whether our belief is like the Jews in this passage, or if it's like a true disciple. So very practically, very clearly, I want to ask you to ask yourself this question. When God says something in his word that's different than what you think, how do you respond? That question will get to the heart of it. When God says something in his word that's different than what you believe or what you want to be true, how do you respond? Do you surrender to his wisdom? Or do you say to him, I'm going to decide what I think is right and wrong? When God says something about what godly relationships look like, When his word says something about gender or sexuality, when his word says something about the sanctity of life, when it says something about what it's okay to click on, to look at, to watch, or to read, are you going to do what he says, or are you going to do what you want to be true? Because depending on how you respond to that question, it's an indication as to whether your belief is just in your head, or if it's actually abiding in you. Are you a disciple Or do you merely believe? Because to believe like the Jews in this passage is no belief at all. They have not surrendered to Jesus Christ as their Lord. But to abide in him as a true disciple is to surrender everything to your Lord. By faith, submitting completely to the gospel. Allowing Jesus to steer and direct every element of your life. To know the joy of fellowship with the Father. To live as a citizen of the kingdom. And according to this passage, to never taste death. My prayer for us at Be Free is that we would be true disciples.
of Jesus Christ. And that as disciples, Christ's truth would would prevail over the devil's lies. That his word would be the final word on all things. Because that is true of true disciples of Jesus Christ. This characterizes true disciples, and it's my prayer, that we would labor to seek through our life to weed out the sin, submitting to our Lord, and allowing him to have this final, final say on everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this passage is not an easy one. If this passage would easy, were easy, Lord, we would be, we'd be doing pretty well. But the truth is, Lord, all of us are still tempted by sin. We're all tempted to do things our way rather than your way, Lord. And so as your disciples, Lord, we pray and we beg and we ask that you would work in us, helping us surrender more and more to you as the Lord over our lives. And Father, I pray for anyone here today who who really sought their heart and asked those hard questions and came to believe or to see, hey, you know what, maybe I'm believing just with my head, but not actually surrendering to Jesus as my Lord. Father, I pray that today they would come to you humbly and say, Father, I want to be your disciple. Father, I want to surrender everything to you. I lay me down. I am not my own. I belong to you alone. So, Father, steer me. Direct me. Use me and change me more and more into your image. Father, change us and sanctify us as a community and then each one of us as individuals. We pray this.